Siyata Dishmaya Parshus Mishpatim Veila Mishpatim Ashetosim Lifneihem. So Rashi brings down straight away. What does this mean? Rashi means, Rashi explains again from a Medrash, Mari Shoni Misinai, Afeilu Misinai. Just as in last week's parasha we know, parasha Yisrael was the Aseris Adibris, everything came from Mount Sinai, so too everything in this week's parasha, which contains an incredible amount of mitzvahs. You go through the Chenech on this week's parasha, it's incredible to understand all the various mitzvahs, all the Ben Adam Nechaveir, all of the Shivish Mesachtas, basically, are right here in this, uh, this parasha. So, the Trumas Adeshen, says like this. He quotes a Rashi and he says, you know, Rashi's telling us just like those ones are Harsina in last week's parasha. So this week also was also from Harsinai. And he says, why would you have thought not that way? Like what would you have been, you know, what was your Kavana? Oh no, this one's over here. These are not really Maharsina. What's the Pshat that they come straight after Parsha's history? So the Trumash Hadeshan explains like this. He says that a person thinks often when it comes to Ben Adam Nechaveiro, which is what much of this parish is actually dealing with, is Ben Adam Nechaveiro in Yonim between man and his friend. So, you know, it's ethical. It's nice to be Ben Adam Nechaveiro. It's nice to be nice to other people. But it's not really like Chiyav. I don't really have to do that. And the truth is, says the truth is, I just said, absolutely not. What Rashi is coming to tell us is just like everything in Parshish Yisrael came from Har Sinai, so too in this week's parasha also came from Har Sinai. Okay? That's number one what I wanted to share with you. But I actually want to move on to the very first idea in this week's parasha. Okay? Do you with me? Okay. The first idea in this week's parasha is the idea of the Eved Ivri. And we have to ask ourselves exactly what is the Yisrael of Eved Ivri? What is the Torah teaching us? With this Indian of Eved Ivri. And the Bosset tells us as follows Kisikna Eved Ivri Sheshonim. Okay, so you've got this Eved Ivri for six years. The Torah continues Sheshonim Yavod, you should work for six years. On the seventh year, he goes out for free. The Torah then continues to tell us what is the din if he doesn't want to go out? What's the din if he wants to stay? He's very comfortable where he is. He likes the accommodation. The breakfast is great. We get baguettes every day. And there's freshly squeezed orange juice. And can I know what's for lunch and supper? Why would I want to leave? There's absolutely no reason I'd want to leave. So I want to stay. So what do we do? We take him. Right, one of the most famous things that all the kids learn. You take him over to the doorpost. You poke his ear. And you say to him, wrong. You shouldn't have done that. What's the pshap? So Rashi says like this. Rashi explains like this. Again, Rashi brings Pshat. This was the E that heard at Harsinai Sinai Don't steal. And therefore you want to stay an extra six years? We're going to give you a mum. We're going to give you something on your goof, on your body that you're always going to remember. This is right. You're not allowed to steal. This was the E that heard Leisignoiv at Sinai. You shouldn't be stealing. Right? Now, we can ask a very, very simple question, which I'm sure anybody that learns Chumash Rashi asks this question. And I've seen this question brought down in many, many Svarim, different answers being given. I've given answers over the years, and I want to offer an answer this year. We have to ask a very simple question. Why is it, if we're basically telling off this evidivery for stealing, and we're saying you shouldn't have stole because you heard the signal at the Aseris Adibros at Sinai, so why is it only after six years do we say to him, Ah! You want to stay? Oh, we're going to do something to you. Shouldn't we have done this when he first came in? Shouldn't we have done this when the guy... Had, well, let's try an Evid Ivry. Why did he become an Evid Ivry? Because he stole. When you steal, you get sold as an Evid. 
Good. So he got st- he got sold as an Evid. Here he is. He's an Evid Ivory. Bang him a hole in his ear and say, Hey, what are you doing stealing? You shouldn't have stolen. You, you heard how Sinai let signal. What are you doing? What, we wait six years. He then says, I like it here. Oh, now we're going to put something in your ear to remember for the rest of your life not to steal. What's the shot? So, in a safer metal, with Yosef Salant, see, he brings like this, a very interesting insight. He brings his insight like this. What's the idea of an Evid Ivri? What does it mean he gets sold? He gets sold as an Evid, he's no longer free. He's not a free person anymore. He's completely his master's property. He belongs to his master. We tell this person, you stole. Other people's property meant nothing to you. You're now going to be an Evid. You're going to see what it means to go and have no freedom whatsoever. You won't be able to steal anything anymore. Now, it's supposed to do its job. Meaning, it's supposed to accomplish something. Six years of being an Evid, you know what that means? It's hard work. It's not easy. Being an Evid is not a simple thing. But yet he did it for six years. Comes now the end of the six years. He should come along and say, I've learned my lesson. I'm getting out of here. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm finished. I'm done. And he says, no, I'm quite comfortable here. I think I'm, I'm actually quite enjoying it. Can I stay for longer? That's a problem. Why? The problem is because the ear that heard Le Signoi obviously didn't do the job by being an Evet. Obviously, by being an Evet, it didn't accomplish anything. After six years, you still want to stay being an Evet. You still want to be here. Obviously, you missed the message. You missed the message of what it was meant to accomplish, what you were meant to learn from that message. And therefore we say, now we're going to get starker. We're going to get stronger. And we're going to put a hole in your ear so for the rest of your life, you will now remember. If the simple drop of six years of working wasn't enough, this is going to make it worth it over there. So, that's part A. Part B. We move on a few more psukim in the parasha. One of the halachas we see over here in Chafalaf, Basuk Yutes, what happens if the Olam are fighting? People are fighting with damage, you have to pay him. Says the Gemara in Babakama. The Gemara says, which means, from this Pasuk and this week's parasha, we, have, we learn the din that a doctor has permission to heal. That's what, that's what we learned from this week's Pasha. Virapa, Virapa, that's what, when there's a heter to go to a doctor, we need a heter to go to a doctor. You need, you need a heter to go to a doctor. Somebody's sick, he needs to go to a doctor. What, what, you need a heter from the Torah, he's allowed to go to a doctor. This week's Pasha teaches us that. Well, what's the pshat? So Rashi explains in the Gemara Baba Kama that I would have thought, why are you going to a doctor? Because you're sick. Because something happened to you. That's why you're going to a doctor. One second. If Hashem made you sick, if Hashem made a problem with you, what's your right to go to a doctor to heal it? Well, who gave you the hatter? A chutzpah? A Kodesh Baruch who makes you sick and you go to a doctor to heal yourself? <laughs> what are you doing? The body shall make you sick. And the Gemara says, Mekan, from here we see that there is absolute a hatter to do. Why? It says the Chavetz Chaim, because a person has to realize where he came from. And that everything that happens in his life is a simon. Everything that happens in his life is a sign, is, a, is, is, is something that's meant to tell him something. I would have thought, how can I go to a doctor? What chutzpah do I have to heal myself? At the end of the day, a kashbocha made me sick. No, don't worry. Go to a doctor. Why? Because you have to realize where it came from. 
You have to realize the Makor. The doctor can heal, it's fine. But remember where it comes from. Remember the Makor where everything is. Remember that everything the Rabboni Shalom sent us in our lives comes from somewhere. And go back to that source. That's why we're allowed to go to a doctor. So many times things happen in our lives. And we blame this one. And we blame that one. And we blame all sorts of people. All sorts of circumstances. All sorts of environments. When do we stop to think... Where does everything come from? Where's, where's, where, where's the message? Evan Ivory in this week's parasha teaches us this message. That everything in life is meant to teach us something. Everything in life has a cheshben. Maybe we don't know the cheshben. Maybe we don't understand the cheshben. But the cheshben is there. And you have this Evan Ivory over here who didn't take that message. He missed the message and because of that we go along and do that. And you know how many people do this in their lives? They go through situations and they don't really... I want to point out a couple of ideas. Number one is the Gemara in Sanhedrin. The Gemara in Sanhedrin, Lama Tess, brings down the famous Maiser. It's a famous Maiser who said this here once before. That the Kaiser said to Rabbi Gamliel in front of the Olam. Uh, there was an Olam there listening to the Kaiser. And he says to Rabbi Gamliel, you know... We're all one people. We're all one nation. Let's join together. Let's join together. We should all be one nation. So Rabbi Gamil says back to him in front of the oil and publicly, he says, okay, that's, that's a wonderful idea, but there's a problem. We already have a bismillah. The Gemara, I'm just reading you, Parashat the Gemara. We have a bismillah, so we have a bismillah. We cannot join you, but you can join us. The Kaiser had no answer. He was embarrassed and he was humiliated publicly. So he said, to the, uh, to the Rebbe Gamliel, because you humiliated me publicly, you are Chayav Misa, you are Moirid Bamalchus, you have to be thrown into the lines. To be thrown into the lines? So, okay, what choice did he have? The officers came, the Gemara tells us, they picked him up, and they put him into the lion cage. And everyone's watching to see what's going to happen. Absolutely nothing happened. The lions stay where they are, he stays where he is, and Shalom Alisol. And somebody in the crowd shouts out, Shkoyach. You're dealing with lions that belong to the king. They're probably fed very well. That's why they don't want him. Wait a few more hours when they get hungry and you see what happens. Say them a first in this Gemara. What, what's Pshat this Gemara? So Pshat is that a person can see something in front of his eyes and he misses the message. Here they're seeing a human being in a lion cage who's not getting attacked or eaten or anything. Oh, it must be because the lions are, are, are you know, not hungry. There must be another Pshat. There must be another Pshat. How many times do we go through our lives when things happen and there's another pshat without going to the source? That is the aside of Eva Ivri. There's a Mordeka Ramban. The Ramban is in Bereshit Yudches Yudtes. Where the Ramban says an incredible thing. He says, we live all of our lives Bahashkocha Protis. That means we live our lives where the Rabboni Shalolam is running our lives. Any person, says the Ramban, this is an incredible Ramban, you look at that, any person that lives his life and he attributes everything to Teva, to nature, the Hashkocha protis of the Rabbi Nishalim gets removed from him. And once it gets removed from him, he's subject back to Teva. And that's dangerous. Says the Ramban, a person has to live his life with the belief who's running the world, who's running every event in the world. What's happening? It comes from the Rabbi Nishalim. And sometimes things are in front of our face and we don't even realize it. We don't come. I'll give you I'll give an example of something, you know, not really exactly completely related, but when I read this story, it's an incredible Misa. Ramosha Shapiro Zatzal once was in America and he met, um, he went to Muncie and he met a man that was together with his uncle, Rav Shraga Shapiro. 
Shemir and uh, they were together in Auschwitz. And the man related the following story. The story was like this. He said, you know, you have to understand something. In normal circumstances in the world, that when you're alive, that's the norm. When you're dead, that's like, not really, you know, abnormal. Well, you're living in the world, you're meant to be alive. He said, in Auschwitz, it was Mamash Faket. In Auschwitz, if you, were, if you were dead, that was the norm over there. If you were alive, it was like a chedesh. That was like an irregular thing for a person to be alive over there. And he said, I myself, that's what he said over to Moshe Shapiro, I myself was living, am living by accident. So Moshe said to him, what, what do you mean you're living by accident? What's the pshat? He said, I'll tell you what happened. He says, I was, in, uh, I was in the camp, I was in Auschwitz, and I was working in the coal mine. Now in the coal mine, you worked far, far, far down underground. And the way to go and transport all the coal that they mined in the mines was these, these carts that were on wheels. And they used to fill it up. And they would give a tug to the little string over there. And the people at the top would start pulling in the string. And this way they would bring the coals to the top. Then they would send back the wagon empty and so on and so forth until they eventually got through the day's work. So he said, at one particular time, I fell, I guess I dozed off or whatever it was. I didn't realize that the wagon was coming down. You had to be very careful when the wagon was coming down. You had to catch it. You had to stop it because it could have gone who knows where. And I one time didn't realize it was coming down. I was falling asleep. I was very, very tired. It came crashing down and it smashed into a whole pipe system in front of it. Now, there's no question about it. I would have been shot on the spot for doing something like that, for dozing off at work and causing such damage. They're going to shoot me on the spot. There's no question. What was I meant to do? So I had no choice. Well, I'm going to stay there. There's no point staying there. So I started walking up the hill. I guess I'll go to the top and I guess I'll meet my fate. There's no other choice. Well, what else can I do? So he does that. He goes to the top and he waits to see this Nazi guy there. Like, what's going on? What happened? This, that, the other. I heard a cr- and instead of that, there's no one there. And he sees one of the Jewish inmates over there. He says, you have nothing to worry about. I heard what happened. You have nothing to worry about. Because the exact moment where it smashed, or what we heard that it smashed, what the Nazi guard that was standing there got a heart attack and he collapsed and they quickly carried him and everyone's busy with that. So there's nothing to worry about. He said, I, I totally am alive by accident, right, he saw something that happened out there, it's very, very obvious, not always do we get such an obvious situation, right, the, sometimes we get a national hashkocha protest, right, I'll give you an example, by the way, the Chavis Alavavis writes, in Shara B'chening, writes an incredible thing, the Chavis Alavavis writes that, um, we mentioned this, I think, once before. The Chavis of Ovis says that the fact that Klal are here throughout the Golas is more mind-boggling than Yitzhiya Smitzrayim. That's what the Chavis of Ovis writes. But again, how many times do we look at that and write, like, wow, we're here. It's an incredible thing. It's an incredible, it's an incredible, it's an incredible idea to think about. I'll tell you about something else that Moshe Shapiro said over as well. He said, over the Misa, which many of us are familiar with, where during the Gulf War in 1991... So the uh, United States Army attacked the country of Iraq and um, they refused to retreat from Kuwait. And in response to that, Saddam Hussein fired 39 Scud missiles into Israel. Now, generally where he aimed them and where they fell was into populated areas which should have caused tremendous, tremendous Rahman al-Islam casualties. But we know that except for one person who was a Badafka Michal Shabbos, nobody really suffered any problems, any illnesses, any casualties from these 39 um, incredible, you know, incredible miracles. So General Norman uh, Schwarzkopf, who was a U.S. Army general at the time, when he heard this, he said, 
Ah, these guys, all they do is a little bit of noise. Ah, he makes them a whole thing of egg. Ah, they just make noise. It's nothing. It doesn't do anything. It can't harm anyone. But that's actually not true. And he himself was proven to be untrue because when Saddam Hussein fired one missile at an American military base in Jordan, there were 27 casualties. So the Rabbi Islam showed that one scud can accomplish everything, but sometimes a person can see it and say, ah, all it is is a little bit of noise. It's nothing. But sometimes he's proven wrong. In Gaza, by the way, in, ni- in 2007, uh, Moshe Shapiro also pointed out the similar idea that, again, they fired and they fired. So they asked the BBC at the time in an interview, aren't you embarrassed about the inaccuracy of your missile system? I'm sorry, the BBC actually, sorry, the other way around, the BBC interviewed Hamas and they said, are oh, you not embarrassed? You know, come on. They're, they're these people, you're, you're not obviously very accurate in what you're doing. What's going on? So the terrorists responded, no, 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 we're actually very, very accurate. What we do is incredible. We have amazing accuracy in our missiles and advanced system. However, for some reason that we just can't explain that as it's going in its path, there's like a little bit of a wind that sort of pushes it in the wrong way. And because of that, everything falls, falls down. Again, sometimes something is in, in front of our face, but we don't even realize it. But so I want to give you an idea. I don't know if you've ever read the book, All for the Boss. So she writes over there an incredible thing. She writes over there that when they moved back to America from the May, this was 1938, right before the war, they moved back to America from the May, Poland, and they went to go to see Rabbi Chesko Lavenstein to ask him for a bracha. What should we do? We're going back to America. What should we do to keep everything we gained in the May? And he said like this. He said, listen, there is only one thing you could do to save yourselves in every situation. And I think this is an incredible lesson for ourselves, and this can help ourselves as well. And I wonder how many people would do this. He said, what you should do is, is you should write and make a record on a piece of paper every act of Ashkocha protest that comes into your life, small or large. You will notice over time how much Ashkocha protest happens. How many things happen in your life that you didn't even realize because of that, that happened. Or because that, I missed that, that happened. When a person starts to record the Ashkocha protest, he says clearly that will keep your emuna and your Torah that you got in the May strong. Which I think is an incredible strategy. In fact, they found a letter that Rav Moshe and Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky, they both wrote and they signed very clearly that he said that it's a very good idea for a person to write down incidents of Ashkocha protest in his life, everything he experiences, and it will give you chizik in all tariag mitzvahs. So Rav Moshe and Rav Aaron both wrote down over there. You know, so many times there's a master plan, but we don't realize it. I'll give you an example. Uh, a bacha came to see me this week. A tyrant neshama, beautiful, beautiful neshama. He came to see me. He was, unfortunately, had gone through a, a situation. His mother had died a number of years ago. And he came to a realization this week. He'd been saying Kaddish on the yacht site for a number of years. He was always under the impression that Kaddish, it was basically indirectly talking about his mother. Obviously not directly talking about his mother, but talking about, you know, the godless and whatever it was. This week, he opened up an art school sitter, and he saw that the words of Kaddish have absolutely nothing to do with what happened, you know, in his life. It's got to do with Hashem, and how great Hashem is, and how exalted Hashem should be, and everything like that. And he's like, he says to me, he says, well, yeah, he says to me, he's in my office right over there. And he says to me, I don't understand. Why should I want to praise Hashem? Why do I want to, you know, Yiskadal the Shemei Rabo. Wow, the name of Hashem should be so great. When I don't agree with what Hashem did to me. I, I, I don't agree with it. So we sat for a while. 
And we discussed the idea that a person can believe that the Rabboni Shalom did something even if he doesn't understand it. We don't always understand everything. But that doesn't take away our belief from Hashem. That doesn't take... I'll give you... And I gave him an example. I said, imagine if you're working in a company. I think I'll give you the same example. Imagine if a person is working in a company. He's a little worker. He's a regular little schlepper. And above him, there's the manager. Above the manager, there's the supervisor. And then you've got the CEO. You've got the big boss over there. Can you imagine if one day, the big boss makes changes in the company? He starts changing around offices, positions. You're like, hello, you're coming to work one day, and all of a sudden you've got a different office, you've got a different task, you get a different job. What's going on over here? Hello? I was very happy with what I do. What are you doing? I don't understand. What would you say? There's obviously no boss. He, has no, he doesn't know what's going on. Elamai, it must be that he's doing it for a purpose. He understands his company. He understands his business. He understands what he created. He understands how he runs his business and how to make the most money. And therefore he understands that in order to make more money, in order to be more productive, I need to make changes. So I told him the Rabbani Shalom is exactly the same. Right? The Rabbani Shalom understands his world. He created this world. He created every one of us. He created every situation, every generation, and every tsar and every pain and distress that went through this world. When our job is not to try to understand, we're not going to. Our job is to believe. Our job is to realize that everything is bashkacha pratis. Everything that happens in the world is a message. And through that, a person can reach very, very high places. Rabbi said, the message of this week's parasha, of Eved Ivri, the rapper, you rapper, all of that, comes to tell us exactly this. The Rabbi Shalom sends into the world messages. Are you going to listen to the messages? Are you going to hear them? Is it going to affect your life? What are you going to do with those messages? Rabbi said, let's take this idea. Let's live Bashkocha protest. Halavai. Halavai. Each and every one of us, on a weekly basis, can write down on a paper, on our phones, a couple of acts of, 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 of Bashkocha protest that happened in their, in their week that week. I guarantee you, Rabbi said, after a while, you'll see the most incredible ideas that happen in your life. And Be'ez Hashem, Rabbi Nishon, will give us the Shemaya. Reach that level of Bitoch and understand that everything we do is Bashkocha protest. Yeah.